I invite you to remain standing a moment longer as we read this morning's gospel. I'll be reading from the gospel according to Mark, the 12th chapter, verses 38 through 44. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In one of my previous appointments, I had a, a retired pastor as a part of the congregation. And, and she would oftentimes come to me and, and, and she would tell me she had a sandwich for me. And what she meant by that sandwich was there was going to be a little bit of love. And then there was going to be the issue. And there was going to be another piece of love, another slice of, of love. So she would always give me helpful things. Uh, the meat of the topic of the conversation, but it was sandwiched in between pieces of love. Well, I think this passage of Scripture we got this morning is more like an open-faced sandwich. It only has one piece of love in it, if you will. It, it's got a lot of meat in it. The setting, I think, is important. Jesus is in the temple. Now, I think he changes settings because the second part of the the passage of Scripture, it's clear that he's at the treasury. He's, he's gone to where the custom was that people would put in their, uh, their tithes, their, their offerings. Uh, but in the early part of the passage of Scripture, he's likely near uh, the portico where women might come uh, to pray. Uh, he, he is, he's there and he's going to talk about uh, some scribes. Now, earlier in Mark's Gospel, he's already had a, a mouthful to say, Jesus has, about the Pharisees and the Herodians. He's already talked about how, how they have uh, seemingly misbehaved and not done God's will. So this day, in this text, he's kind of focusing in on the scribes. Now, we also need to remember that when Mark's gospel was finally put to paper, papyrus, if you will, uh, likely, uh, when, when, that began, when they began to record all of the stories that had been transmitted for years, stories that were orally transmitted, when when the stories were actually put down, Christians were facing heightened persecution, if you will. Uh, so the telling of the story takes on a, a meaning uh, that, that needs to be reflective of what was going on in their life. So the Christians were sensing uh, it was time to begin to separate themselves from Jewish traditions and customs. Up until that time, Oftentimes, you would find Christians, followers of Christ, worshiping in synagogues. It was like a church 
opening its doors and allowing another congregation to come in and use the worship space. But as persecution ramped up, Christians were realizing they needed to be set apart from Jews because oftentimes it was the Jewish leadership that was pointing fingers at the fledgling Christian church as the cause of problems for Rome. Uh, And so this persecution caused this need. And so Mark writes his story acknowledging that there is this persecution, if you will, going on and that Christians need to see themselves different. So he points uh, to uh, this, this scribal practice and privilege is what I want to call it. So here are the scribes, the, uh, the legalists of the, of the time, if you will, of the church. Uh, they wear uh, robes that, that uh, identify them in their place uh, in Jewish life and, and, and culture and custom. Uh, they, are, uh, 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 they, they think of themselves more than Jesus is thinking of them at the time. Uh, they often wear these robes, or, or the, the custom was they would wear them when they were in and around the temple. But Jesus is reflecting that now they're, they're going out into the marketplace. They're going beyond their, their normal scope of duties. They're wearing their robes out where the public can see them. And it seems that uh, at the heart of desire of these scribes, they're looking for privilege. Uh, they're looking for titles of respect. Uh, They're looking uh, for places of privilege uh, at banquets, in the synagogue. Uh, They're looking for those kinds of privileges, and Jesus is not having any part of that. He is pointing to them, and he is uh, letting his audience, who seems to be quite thrilled that Jesus is bringing this up to them, the, the crowd is pleased, he's pointing out to them that they are using their place of privilege at the cost of people who in God's eyes, are God's favorites. And when we talk about that, we usually see in Scripture the the passion God has for widows, for orphans, for aliens, uh, the foreigners among them, and the poor. These are the people that God often uh, stretches out God's hands to to show them extra comfort. And God calls God's people to be people who do this very same thing. But the scribes seem to be profiting, if you will, from their poverty, from these people's poverty. They are uh, perhaps entering into uh, 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 transgressions against uh, the given law. They are are profiting from these people's inability to protect their property or their money. Uh, And so the scribes are, are increasing in prominence at the sake of these poor people. So Jesus points out and says their condemnation will be greater because of this. When I, when I read that passage of Scripture, it made me think of, of the story that Penny just read to us of Naomi and Ruth. If you remember uh, some of the, uh, the preliminary uh, text, uh, the story that Penny didn't have time to share with us today, uh, you know, Naomi left uh, the, the promised land and she went to Moab. And while she was in Moab, uh, she and her husband have two sons who, who in turn marry. But both her sons and her husband die while they're in Moab. And Naomi and one of Naomi's daughters-in-law, Ruth, the other one begins the journey back to the promised land. But only Ruth continues on with her. A story of, of extreme loyalty uh, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, this Ruth. And, and so the, the, the story tells us that Naomi left the promised land with her arms full and she returns back to the promised land with empty arms. She has nothing. She has nobody to take care of her. As a widow of the day, 
she was extremely uh, impoverished, destitute, if you will. And now she has her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to take care of. There is no one. But in the Jewish custom, there is this practice called Leverite marriage. And the practice was that one of the brothers of her deceased husband could marry Naomi and provide for her an heir. Uh, Naomi's a little uh, older for, than childbearing days, but, but that was what Leverite marriage was for. So a kinsman would step up and take care of her. In this case, Naomi sees Boaz. Now, Boaz is a prominent man, and he certainly seems to have enough uh, capacity to take care of Naomi. So she sends her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to the threshing floor, uh, and, and, the, and the story says uh, uh, Boaz throws out his canopy, uh, his, his cloak, if you will. Uh, now, cloak and, and wing can be translated out of Hebrew, the same word. Uh, we, we don't know the intimate details of what goes on, whether there's intimacy that night on the threshing room floor or whether it's simply Boaz symbolically taking care of Ruth and Naomi, but that's what happens. So it's the one time in the story of Ruth where we see God give, being given credit because God provides an heir who will be named Obed, who is the grandfather of King David, who is the ancestor of Jesus. And so through this tragic story of a, of a widow named Naomi, through the, uh, the faith of a, of a kinsman named Boaz, through the work, the love, the grace, the mercy, together Ruth and Boaz bring Obed into the world. And so that story is there, this passion for widows, for orphans. This story comes alive as Jesus talks about how the scribes take advantage of people like Naomi. And so many others. And so often, friends, we are complicit in that as we fail to take care of those whom God has this special favor for. For the orphans, for the widows, for the foreigners, for the poor. We often find reasons or excuses not to want to help. And so perhaps we need to hear that scorn of those who stand in the way of God's favor. So that is that meat that I was talking about. Let's talk about that loaf, that piece of grace, that other side of this open-faced sandwich. Jesus' words have echoed the words of, of prophets like Amos and Isaiah and Micah about how these scribes have acted. But as he moves over to the treasury, he sees one of these people whom we've just talked about, whose, God, whose favor from God rests upon them. We don't know how Jesus knew that this woman was a widow, but Mark tells us she is, and certainly Jesus seems to acknowledge this. But she puts in two of these copper coins. Now, they're called pennies in the New Revised Standard Version, uh, the translation. Uh, probably equivalent, these two coins are, which is all she had, the text tells us. These two coins are probably worth about one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. That's how poor this woman is. And yet she puts both coins into the treasury and God blesses her. Jesus says she has given not out of her abundance like the others with big bags of money who are hearing the sound of their coins dropping into the treasury. She is not giving out of, of an abundance but out of what she has available. And Jesus applauds her. Jesus approves of what she has done. I think it's a sign that she is trusting God. Now, some people might say, well, maybe she's a, a recent widow. Maybe, 
Maybe she doesn't know what to do. Maybe she hasn't got all that figured out. Well, Mark doesn't trouble us with that. Mark points to her great love for God and trusting God with what she has. There's a a retired United Methodist bishop named Charles Golden. He tells a story about going to India. Now, Charles Golden is African-American. He goes to India on a mission trip, and while there, uh, this group of young Indian children come and sing to Bishop Golden, uh, an old African-American spiritual. Uh, And that uh, uh, song is, I Got Shoes, which was written uh, at a time when African-Americans had trouble getting shoes. And it was the celebration that through their hope and trust in God that they lived faithfully and one day got shoes. Bishop Golden says as these kids are singing to him, he notices they're not wearing shoes. They're barefoot. And he is reminded of that great hope and trust that his own ancestors must have had in very challenging and hard times. So this woman has trusted God. And she's willing, I think to be a part of the work that God has called His people to do. She invests. She gives. Maybe it's more than a tithe. Maybe that's more, but she gives, again, not out of her abundance, but out of what she has. She puts God first, and she trusts in God. Another story that I heard from a couple of, in an article I read, a couple of investors were telling a story of a a couple who came to them Uh, They were at a point in life where they felt they needed to have a a financial plan. And so these uh, two investment brokers sat down with them and and they worked through lots of things. You know, what do you want to do in life? We're, you know, what are your goals? What are your objectives? What are your hopes? What are your desires? And they worked with them for quite some time. And finally, one of the investment brokers looked at the couple and said, well, we're at a crossroads. We're going to need to make a decision. And so he drew a box on the top of the piece of paper and he put two words uh, beside uh, that box. One of those words was money and the other word was Jesus. And he told this couple, he said, now to make your plans work, you're going to have to put one, only one of these words inside that box. And when you make that decision, we then can prepare you for your future. If you want to put Jesus, we'll work out your finances where you do and support the work of Jesus. But if you want to simply make money, we'll put together a financial plan that helps you grow into, into your prosperity and retirement years and you'll be fine. And they said after three or four minutes, the couple agreed they wanted to put Jesus in that box. And so the financial planners worked to help them grow into that lifestyle of making Jesus the most important part of their future. Friends, we're faced with that crossroad. Maybe not every day, but often enough. We're faced with this notion of of trusting God, but also of being asked to do the work of God. Today, Pecan Street Mission is, is, is wrapping up its last preview worship service. And this church has been about supporting this notion of reaching people that already don't have a church home, reaching them with a, 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 a different kind of worship experience. And so you have invested, and we hope and pray that you will continue to invest so that people can be encouraged, that people can have hope and trust in what God is doing through the people of this church. One final story. There's a story I read of a, of a woman who was troubled. She was grieving, recently widowed. 
she came to her doctor and said, I just can't seem to move forward. It's been weeks now. Every day, she told the doctor, I take flowers to the cemetery and put them on my husband's grave. And every day, I just feel like I'm going nowhere. And yet, I'm faithful to taking those flowers. And the doctor said, well, let me offer a, an alternative. And the doctor said, why don't you take those flowers to one of the local hospitals and find somebody there who, who might be in a, in a tough place and offer them those flowers and then give them some encouragement because you certainly have some experiences that you could speak of. Friends, she, she did what the doctor told her to do and when she came back for her next visit, she said, my life is changing. I no longer live under this horrible cloud of grief. Oh, I miss my husband, but I found purpose in life. And I feel like I'm doing God's work. Friends, we have much to do. We have much life yet to live. It doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are. We've got all sorts of opportunities. But we need to realize that our God is bigger than we are. And that our God can handle our problems. That we can trust in our God to, to walk with us. Whatever journey we're on, whatever pathway we are on, that, that God is with us. And that we can feel the power of God's presence. Not giving up on us, but encouraging us. Whether we are like Naomi and Ruth. Whether we are like that widow who put her coins in the box. Or even if we're like those scribes. God works to win us over, to help us realize the great extent of God's love for us. In just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table, regularly receiving this sign of God's love, regularly participating in this sacrament so that we can be reminded of God's great love for us. I hope and I pray that you can have that trust and that faith of these, our ancestors, these faithful people in the Bible who acknowledge who God is and do those things to build God's kingdom. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit.